Hello to everyone watching in the Villas at Hove at the Clarendon Centre in Brighton, uh, at our Shoreham site, our site at Oasis, and all those watching online as well. Uh, my name's George, and it is my privilege to be opening up the Bible with you today. A few things about me, I'm 26. Uh, I live in central Brighton with my beautiful wife, Abby. We've been married for a year and four months now. And uh, I'm on staff at Emmanuel and I get to lead the amazing team uh, who lead our 6 p.m. service at the Clarendon Centre. It will not have escaped your attention that we have entered December. It's happened. Even Scrooges like me cannot deny it any longer. Um, we've been looking for a term as a church at how joy has a name and his name is Jesus. We'll be looking at the book of Philippians. And now entering the Christmas season and our Advent series, we wanna look specifically at how the story of Jesus' coming into the world and his birth means, as the popular carol says, joy to the world. How is this good news for us today? There's a popular theme in films nowadays to do prequels or origin stories. I'm sure you've seen one, uh, where we get to see the beginnings of the characters that we already know. We learn who the superhero was before he put on the cape, how the story got to the point uh, where we know the story, where the famous film starts. We learn why the hero is the way she is, where they came from and how that shapes what they go on to do. The four accounts of Jesus starts a life that we have in the Bible all start at different points in the story. Whilst telling the same story and all equally truthfully, each author is interested in emphasising different aspects of Jesus and his life. And so they include or exclude stories to shape those themes. Another way of looking at this or understanding this is that God, in his grace, has provided four accounts of Jesus' life, which through their differences help us to see a more rounded picture of who Jesus is. Matthew, for instance, which will be the first account of Jesus' life in your Bible, starts by giving Jesus' family tree, his genealogy, because Matthew's really interested in giving us evidence that Jesus is the son of David, this promised Messiah um, from the Hebrew scriptures. And he's the one that will come and save them and rule on the throne forever. The next account, the book of Mark, starts with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus and Jesus' baptism by John. Mark wants to emphasise that Jesus is the son of God. God says that over Jesus, he gets baptised. This is my son who I'm well pleased. But Mark also goes on to emphasise Jesus' suffering. That just because he's the son of God doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to him and he doesn't suffer. The next one, Luke tells the story at, his, at the beginning of his account of the events leading up to and including Jesus's birth. And lots of what we'll know is the Christmas sort of nativity story, angels, stars, shepherds, that kind of thing. Um, and he, he'll include that. He wants to emphasise Christ's humanity. What better way to do that than to focus initially on his birth? As, uh, as a person, as a human. John is the account we will focus on for our event series and he's the fourth account. And he starts a little further back. In fact, all the way back in eternity past. For John, he wants us to understand the significance of Christmas and of the whole good news of Jesus Christ. We really do need to go back to the start. That's what he wants us to do. We'll be unpacking what he is trying to show us about Jesus throughout the whole of December. 
This is a, a relatively short scripture compared to some of the ones that we've been hearing. Uh, we will hear the whole part uh, of the Bible we'll be focusing on for these December Sundays. And uh, it is packed full of good stuff and of truth. So we're going to hear it now and uh, then we'll open it up together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Have you ever met someone's parents having known them for a while and gone, oh, that's why you're like that. Everything makes so much sense now. You see so much of your friend in their parents, maybe little mannerisms or phrases they use. You see parts of them physically, their eye colour, their hair colour, that sort of thing. I used to get a lot of that growing up. My dad is a preacher and he's a teacher. And so people knew him. A lot of people knew him before they knew me. And so when they met me, they'd often go, oh, you're Bob's son. Of course you are, you're Mr. Benson's son. Because we look similar. I'm a little bit taller and a little bit younger, uh, but we do look similar and we act similar in some ways. We use similar turns of phrase. Lots of you haven't had the pleasure of meeting my dad, but you could argue that in meeting me and even just hearing me today, if this is your first time, if you're new to us, you are, you're sort of meeting him. Not just because we look the same, but because of my values and my core beliefs that were all transmitted to me through his parenting. You can see something of who he is in who I am. Right at the beginning of John's account of Jesus's life, he wants us to understand something very specific about who Jesus is. You'll have noticed a name he gives the Son of God, the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. John, right from the start, 
wants us to know that the Son of God, and as we read later in the passage, it makes it clear that this word, this Son of God is, is Jesus. The Son of God is God communicating himself perfectly to us. He is God's way of speaking, his word, and how God reveals himself to us. To truly get the, oh, moment for, for me, the truth is you can't just meet my dad. You'd need to meet my mum as well and loads of other influences in my life. I'm not a perfect representation of my dad. But Jesus says of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And that claim is absolutely staggering. He's saying, do you want to know what God is like? Look at me. God, who by definition is infinite and unknowable and eternal, has shown himself in Jesus. In fact, Jesus, the son of God, perfectly, perfectly communicates God to us. Now, how is that possible? Well, let's look again at that first line. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, those first three words might remind you of something. John is intentionally quoting from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, which starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice the difference between the two, Genesis in the beginning, God. And John is saying in the beginning was the word. He's saying that this son of God was there before the creation of the world. The Son has eternally been with the Father. They've eternally been in communion, in relationship with each other. God the Son is not God the Father. John says the Word was with God. Okay, one and two, the Word was with God. They're not each other. And yet the very next few words, the Word was God. He was with God and he was God. Is that confusing? Yeah, it definitely is. If we could completely get our heads around God, then he just wouldn't be God. But we don't want to give up because in this lies the key. Jesus perfectly communicates God. OK, how does he do that? In that he is God. The word was God. God the Father and God the Son, both persons are one. So the Son of God, Jesus, is our way to knowing an unknowable God. He is God communicating with us. He is the word. He is God. So John, as he begins his account of Jesus' life, as we start looking at it together, he would say to us, do you want to know what God is like? This unknowable God, three in one, who makes your brain shut down very quickly um, as you try to understand him. How can we possibly look at him and understand him? John says, look at the son of God. Look at the word who was with God and is God. Jesus is God. Once John has established this in his account, he doesn't use the word word again. We, we read it again in the passage we're studying. But as he goes on, he uses son or the son of God or the only son, things like that to describe Jesus. But right at the start, right at the beginning, before we get to Christmas or Easter or anything else, John wants us to know Jesus is the word of God. He is the only way to really know God. There is no other way to God. No other way to true life-giving spirituality. 
This is a huge claim. It would have been a huge claim in the first century to a world with many different gods, Roman, Greek, many others. It was a huge claim to many of the Jewish people who had promises about a Messiah who would come and yet they knew God was holy and no human could claim to be his son and, and they found that this was deeply offensive and many of them rejected Jesus. People even followed John the Baptist instead. You'll have noticed uh, in the passage, John has to state very clearly that John the Baptist, who is not the author uh, of this account, both called John, a bit confusing. John, our author, the disciple of Jesus, um, is writing about a character called John the Baptist, a person called John the Baptist, not the same John. Would it be helpful if they had different names? Potentially, but they don't. And he has to say very clearly that John the Baptist, who came uh, before Jesus and was preparing the way, telling people the Messiah is coming, he has to tell them, by the way, he's, he's not God. He's not the Messiah. He's not the light of God. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John had disciples who followed him and then didn't go on to follow Jesus. We all have a temptation to look to other things. And uh, it was deeply offensive for many people then when Jesus made the claims that he made. And it's offensive to us now as well. Generally, it's a bit more Brightonian to think of Jesus as one of many great ways to be spiritual or wise or good. Maybe you're here and you think of Jesus like one of many ways to have spiritual or transcendent experiences. Maybe one day it could be alcohol. Maybe you try meditation the next or hallucinogenics. You read wise words from the Quran or the Buddha. And uh, Jesus is just another way for you to have that kind of spiritual experience. Generally, uh, we are in this city and in uh, this age more keen on keeping our options open than exclusive statements like John's here. And let's be clear, his claim about Jesus is exclusive and Jesus's claims about himself were exclusive. He said, I am the only way to the Father. The real biblical Jesus doesn't work in a list of things to get a spiritual experience from. He wants to be everything or he's not really anything to you. He is the way to God through the virtue of being God himself. Notice we're not saying he's just another pleasure, just another way to have a good time and he's a bit better than these other ones. No, he's God himself. Have you been seeing Jesus as one option of many? one way to spirituality, as we've been saying. Maybe he seems just a wise friend helping you to live a good life. I wonder if today, as you turn to a friend, as you look to Jesus, as you watch this right now, you'll see that he isn't just one of many options for you. Every Christmas, you are surrounded by this story of Jesus in lots of different ways. And maybe you've never considered that the claim of Christmas and the claim of John here and of the Bible could resonate with you in your life, in your situation. That this Jesus of the Bible is actually the son of God who rules all things, who came into the world 2000 years ago in order to rescue you from your sins. Have you considered that before? Maybe it's time to take another look at Jesus. John invites us, Jesus invites you to take another look. 
to see that Jesus is God. We're going to spend what time we have left doing a bit of that, taking a look at Jesus. If God is shown to us in the person of Jesus, then what is the person of Jesus like? We're going to look at the things that John teaches in this passage about the Son of God. He goes on to write, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word was with God, and he was God, and all things were made through him. The Son of God was there at creation. We read in Genesis that God spoke things into existence. He said things like, let there be light and there was light. And where God speaks, there's the presence of the word of God, his son. All of the universe, John is saying, is created through this word. All of the universe created through the son of God, every galaxy Every star and planet, every atom, every element, every proton, every mountain, every plant, every animal, every human being, including you, everything. He created the world and everything on it. Averaging 12,742 kilometres in diameter, Earth is the fifth largest planet in our solar system. The current populations of humans uh, living on the world, according to the world population clock, is over 8 billion. Apart from some intrepid astronauts, all of the billions of people who have ever lived have lived out their lives on this planet. And all were created through him. Without him, says John, none of this was made. Earth, though, is dwarfed by other planets in the solar system. Jupiter, the largest, has a diameter of about 140,000 kilometres, making it over 10 times the size of the Earth. And John says all things, all things were made through the word of God. Jupiter, the largest planet, starts to look pretty tiny in comparison to the closest star to Earth. Around 1,000 Jupiters could fit into the sun. Earth, with its 8 billion human inhabitants, could fit into the sun around 1.3 million times. John says all things were made through the word. Everything. The sun, though, is not the biggest star around. Betelgeuse is one of the largest known stars. Betelgeuse is around 764 times bigger than the sun. The Bible's account of creation simply says, and he also made the stars. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. John wants us to know that to look at the son of God the word that was with God in the beginning is to look at the one through whom everything was made that has been made. As we look at the son, as we look at who Jesus is, we look at someone who has total power over everything because everything is made and sustained through him. 
Why is there something rather than nothing? This is a question that's troubled humanity for a long time. And uh, we have um, lots of answers, lots of things that we think science we've developed has come up with lots of amazing, brilliant ways to explain what has happened, but we've not come up with the answer to why and ultimately how the universe came to be. The Bible doesn't just say, oh, God did it. It actually says here something even more crazy than that. John is saying this baby, this man from Nazareth, the one we talk about and sing about at Christmas, he did it. Jesus made everything. He made me. Jesus made you. You've always known that your life has meaning and significance. But in purely scientific terms, we don't. You're a bunch of molecules. You're an accident that just sort of happens and you'll live and you'll die and the universe won't make any kind of big deal. It won't notice. But Jesus notices. He notices you because he made you. He's the creator. He knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than you know yourself. Everything that makes you, he put there and he loves you. When we see Jesus, when we look at the son of God, we see one who rightfully lays claim to all things and all of us. We see the creator and he came into the world to save the world he loved and made. The son of God is a greater and better saviour than anything else we can look to, anything else in creation, because he is the creator. John goes on to say, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. He's drawing again on this creation story. The son, the word was there at the beginning and created and sustains all life, including ours. And yet he's pointing again to a new life offered by this man born at Christmas. Jesus said himself, I have come, why? That they may have life and have it abundantly. In John 10 verse 10. So the life giver at the start of time has come to offer eternal, abundant life. And as the one through whom life was given, he is the only one that can offer you eternal, abundant life. As the one who knows you better than you know yourself, because he made you. He knows what living life to the fullest looks like for you. So we look at Jesus and we see a life giver. Even though it cost him his own life on the cross. In one of the first preachers ever in the early church, the Apostle Peter points this out to the very group of people who would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. He says to them, you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Killed the author of life. Think about that statement. The author of life lost his but the story doesn't end there. John writes, 
the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I won't need to spend much time convincing you that the world is a dark place through international situations, national situations, and I'm sure things going on in your life as well. It can be really hard to think hopefully about the future. When we look inside ourselves for hope, if we're really honest, we don't find much help there either. Truth is, our hearts are dark places too. Maybe when I said the one who made you knows everything about you, you thought, oh, I don't know if that's good news. There are things you've done or thought that actually the people closest to you in the world, you wouldn't want them to know. Let alone the holy creator of everything. The Bible calls this darkness in our lives and in our hearts sin. And it's into our darkness, into your darkness, into the darkness of the world, that God shines his light, his son, Jesus. A prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus, often read out at Christmas, goes like this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. This happens quite literally in the nativity story. There's a star that guides people to Jesus. It says in in Matthew 2 that there's wise men who travel miles and miles to see the Lord. And yet they weren't the Jewish people who had received the promise that we just talked about. But they saw the signs, they saw the light and they followed it. In contrast, the religious leaders of the Jews knew the signs. They had the prophecies, but they didn't make the walk to go and see the baby lying in a manger. They hadn't seen the light. So that's the offer for us right now, is to see the light in a world of darkness. Light that is not even overcome by the darkness within us. All these things that we've done in the dark, that thing you think, well, surely that's enough to damn me forever. Surely I can't get past that. Surely God can't get past that. But the light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. Will you see the light? Will you taste of the life offered by Jesus, the author of life, through his death and resurrection? The star is shining. Will you ignore the signs? This light is the light of the creator who made everything and made you. This is the light of life from the life giver himself. This light is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How, how, what's the knowledge of the glory of God? How do we see it? In the face of Jesus Christ. We'll read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 to 6. So for many of us, it's a reminder right now of the beauty of the light of the world. Maybe even in this moment, as you watch, as you listen, you can feel the light shining on you again. A bit like the first light of spring after a dark winter or a holiday in January where you go and find the sun. It's like, oh, I remember, I remember what it's like to have the light shining on me. Through maybe the temporary darkness of a difficult situation, 
Maybe something you've done that's put a barrier between you and God. Maybe you're hungry for what you've tasted before. The light right now is shining. The light of Jesus. Nothing can stop it. If you're with him, no one can separate you from the love of God. Not the worst thing you've ever done. Not your darkest thought. Not the horrible situation you're in. The darkness has not overcome the light. I believe right now he wants us, many of us, to experience again the light. The light of his face shining on us. Of his favour. For others, it's like right now, as you've been listening, as you've joined us today, the light is coming on. You might not even understand what's been happening to you as you've been listening. And we've used a lot of uh, quite conceptual things that are slightly beyond us, slightly mysterious. And yet when the light comes on, suddenly we kind of, we know what it is to see the light, to see Jesus. Maybe that's happening for you right now. Maybe you're hungry for it. You can ask him. He'll do it for you. Are you starting to see him? Is his face taking shape? The light is shining. Don't miss the signs. There really is no one like Jesus. My own personal darkness, the things that I've gone through, I found when I look to him, there's nothing better than him. You can do that now. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that we don't have to guess at what you're like, but we can look at Jesus. Thank you that even in a world of darkness and in our own darkness, we can see the light, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in the glory of his gospel, of the good news of the word of God coming to earth, of Christmas and of Easter. Lord, I pray even now, the person that feels the furthest from you watching this, I pray that you would shine your light on them. I pray you'd shine your light on each and every one of us as we continue on um, into December. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you are. Amen.